Welcome to the Neurosurgeon's Journey, part of the Library of Brain and Spine Group's Medical Student Neurosurgery Training Center and a collaboration with the AANS's Young Neurosurgeons Committee. I'm your co-host, Michael Quartz. I'm currently the Senior Student Director of Education Resources for MSNTC, and shortly we'll be joined by your other co-host, Dr. Jeremiah Johnson. He is an Assistant Professor of Neurosurgery at the Baylor College of Medicine and is the current Chair of the YNC. We're happy to have you with us as we look deeper into the rewarding life of a neurosurgeon and explore what it takes to get there. Good morning, everyone. Dr. Johnson, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you, Michael? Things are good. Things are good. Today's uh, we're discussing the considerations for pre-meds, both for uh, a career in medicine, as well as maybe some pe peculiarities of being interested in neurosurgery um, before med school. To help us do that, we have two guests, uh, Blake Bogan and Matt Rosenthal. Blake is a junior at James Madison University in Virginia, where she worked in a neurodevelopmental research lab. She's a member of an honors biology fraternity, BBB, and recently began running as an EMT with the local re rescue squad. Uh, she's most interested in a pediatric neurosurgery career, but uh, is keeping an open mind, which I think is good. Uh, Blake, how are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Uh, our second guest is Matt. Uh, he's actually an editor for the Neurosurgeon's Journey, and we appreciate all the work that he has done to help get this project off the ground. He's also a junior uh, and attends Cornell University, uh, studying neurobiology and behavior, as well as health policy. He's an assistant researcher in Cornell's evolutionary biology department and is also interested in a neurosurgery career. Uh, Matt, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today's conversation might be logistically a little bit different than some of our previous discussions. We'll have Blake and Matt maybe facilitate uh, half of this conversation to uh, pick their, their brains and maybe pick Dr. Johnson and I a little bit. Before we do that, Dr. Johnson, you know, we've in previous conversations have discussed the importance of starting early in the process uh, when you're trying to apply to neurosurgery, really anything competitive in uh, medicine. I didn't know if you wanted to elaborate on why that's so important and, and why it might be important even at the undergraduate level, and then how you think that concept might apply uh, over the near future. Right. Yeah. I think this is a really interesting topic because there's no predefined path at this stage, at undergrad stage. Uh, I think having interest is really, inter is really good. I guess the way I think about the mindset you should have as an undergrad would be more along the lines that it's an exploration phase. And that's funny because, you know, if you're not looking into neurosurgery or, or medicine, then undergrad is like where you're kind of like completing your training to go into the workforce. Um, so it's a little bit un unusual in that sense, but it really is, you do kind of have to focus on getting to the next step really primarily. If you want to go into medical school, you need to focus on getting into medical school. Um, you know, even in medical school, you need to finish focus on doing well in medical school. And then there's, there's a time to really focus on, you know, so, so specialization and, and residency match for sure. Um, but that said, uh, that should be the primary goal is, you know, making your resume competitive and your scores good enough to make the next step. But that said, I think that there is really great value if you have already identified an interest in exploring that, even at the undergrad stage, because as we talked about before, the earlier you kind of ingrain yourself in the culture slash field, the earlier people get to know you and, and, and the more people you get to know and the better it is when you eventually wanna you know, get into the field later. But I do think you should kind of always have in mind that 
like you said, you should be flexible and, and, and be open to other ideas as you move along. I, I really do think that the best way to choose what you want to do with your life is not a predetermined interest that you had when you were very young that you followed dogmatically. That can work sometimes, but I think that you should always be open to new information as it becomes available and what makes you happy and what you want to pursue because you spend so much time and energy doing these things as a career. And not only that, but training to do them as a career that you should really enjoy what you're doing. So that would be my, my kind of thought process about how to think about these things as an undergrad um, and even early medical student. Now, once you have that interest though, how do you pursue that and kind of, you know, do the best you can to make your resume look as good as it can, as early as it can. And I think that's, that's a good question. And so we can talk a little bit more about that when it comes to research and shadowing and these types of things, which I think are all great ideas at this stage. And the more you have, the better. But, uh, but I did want to kind of give that general overview of, of how the mindset, I think, sh should kind of be when you're, when you're at that stage. So, Dr. Johnson, when did you decide that neurosurgery is for you? So I didn't, I, I kind of like these guys alluded to, I had a vague interest, even all the way back into uh, high school. And really not on being a neurosurgeon, but I knew about it through reading at my local library, believe it or not. Yes, I you know, was a local library nerd, but, but I knew about it, but really thought I had, I guess maybe I just didn't have anyone in my family that was in medicine. I, I thought that was very unattainable and unachievable. So it never dawned in my, in my mind that that was possible to be a neurosurgeon. So I'd read a book about a neurosurgeon and some patients, and I thought that was really fascinating, and then moved on to whatever the next thing I was reading about was. And when undergrad, I, you know, I actually towards the end of high school, I, I did some human anatomy lab, extracurricular stuff um, that I had, I had, was lucky enough to be exposed to. And, and, and I was quite sure I wanted to try and do medicine. So that was my next step was medicine from high school. And then in undergrad, it was all about doing well enough to get into medical school. And then once I showed up at medical school, it was, you know, doing good in classes to give me the exposure and the grades I needed to do whatever I wanted, you know for a career, but I really did, even in medical school, had not really considered nurse surgery. So then when you did rotations in medical school, I started realizing that what everybody said was so great and this or that specialty, I wasn't really that big a fan of, you know, personally. And I really liked surgery, but I didn't like bowels. Um, and, uh, and then I remembered at that point, way back when this neurosurgery thing, and they gave us an opportunity to do a little time of exposure in our third year at neurosurgery. And I took it and I was like, oh, that'd be great to see neurosurgery. I remember that book. I remember the stories of these patients that I could get actually I'm in medicine. Now I can actually get, see it firsthand. I went and saw it and I was like, this is unbelievable. Like two weeks in neurosurgery was like you know, mind boggling spine, brain, like, you know, compression of the spinal cord, can't move the legs, you know, release it. And they move the legs better and brain tumors, et cetera. So yeah, just really transformative for me. And uh, that's how I went about the stages to get, to neurosurgery. But like I said, there are people out there who knew they want to do this from very young and they follow through all the way. So I'm not going to say that's the wrong thing to do, but I do think following your interests is important, but keeping your open mind. Well, thanks for that. That's really succinct. And I think uh, inspirational for folks as a technical guideline or a technical outline for how this process works um, for folks. The, in the United States, generally people go through high school, get their high school diploma, graduate, and then go through at least four years of college, there are some prerequisites and that sort of thing that um, medical schools in the United States require, biology, physics, that sort of thing, uh, which you can find on uh, the AAMC website. And then 
you know, some folks apply uh, to med school right out of college. You know, they start, they usually apply in between junior and senior year. Um, there's at least an anecdotal trend. Um, I don't know of any data that shows this, but there's an anecdotal trend of people taking more time in between those two uh, parts of their lives uh, with doing gap years, working, whatever, whether to bolster application or maybe grow their interest and then med school and residency and then your career. So it's a long road, but uh, as we've already discussed, having some kind of following up on your interests and being intentional about confirming or dissuading those interests, I think are, are positive skills to foster early. So Blake, we'll start with you. What's your, what's your background? Um, maybe given your, where you're at, uh, we told a little bit of the intro, but talk about where you're at, what your story is, what your interest is, and maybe some of your fears, uh, you know, and, and concerns about the medical school application process and maybe neurosurgery as well. Yeah. So I guess my background, I'm, like you said, a junior um, at James Madison University. I'm in a neurodevelopmental research lab where we look at brain areas that encode multisensory systems to understand the circuits that encode the senses and how they're assembled during early development um, and the mechanisms that drive that assembly. So um, I started that my first semester freshman year and have just loved it. It's been a really great experience getting some hands-on, um, I guess, sort of technical training. We do research on mice. So having some sort of hands-on techniques that I've learned is, I think, beneficial, but I don't really know. But uh, yeah, I guess my fears looking at med school would be, I guess, like the typical inadequacy. I feel like that's, I guess, a fear that a lot of aspiring medical students would have just, you know, the application not being strong enough or the resume not, you know, being as diverse as, you know, maybe the reviewers want to see or just not, you know, quite having the numbers to go where I want to go. Um, so oh. what, what would your interest, where did your in, um, interest in neurosurgery start and pediatric neurosurgery specifically? Started neurosurgery I honestly remember I was, whenever the movie Concussion came out, I was watching that, you know, I was in the theater with one of my friends and I was just fascinating the, the entire time. Like, I'm not really a big movie person, have never really had the attention span to focus on, you know, a movie that didn't really pique my interest, but I was just glued to the screen the entire time and was just like thrilled. And I knew I was sort of interested in how the brain and how it worked because it's so unknown. There's still so many questions to answer about it. And that really just piqued my interest because I'm a very, like, I have to understand how things work and I want to know the why behind everything. And the fact that, you know, I could be someone to discover something about the brain or, you know, figure out a why or make some connection was just really interesting. And I just wanted to pursue that. And I knew I wanted to go into medicine. Like, I think I remember I was I have a picture of me when I was like three or four dressed in, you know, scrubs with my little fake, like the doctor headband and my little briefcase with a plastic stethoscope in it. So as far back as I can remember, I've wanted to be a doctor. And I think when I was like four, I would go around telling people, I want to be a pediatrician. I want to be a pediatrician. And I love kids. I love working with kids. And I think the aspect of, you know, it just adds another dimension of, you know, sort of an unknown to the puzzle of 
you know, neurosurgery and neuro as a whole with, you know, maybe the kid can't quite articulate what happened or where the pain is or what's exactly going on. So you have to rely on what you can see and what you can figure out through tests and maybe what the parent can add. So I think just sort of solving the puzzle and putting that together is really where my interest comes from. It's great. We'll have to want we'll to get that picture and that'll be the headshot for the social media graphics. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so Matt, maybe compare and contrast your experience uh, to Blake's and uh, anything else that you think, you know, undergraduate students uh, and just really people who are applying to med school in general should be thinking about as they embark on, as Blake described, a fairly daunting journey. So. Sure. Um, so my first exposure to medicine, I would say, is I always kind of had a vague interest in medicine and neurosurgery, kind of comparable to what Dr. Johnson said. I did some readings and with the, the wide access to YouTube that we all have these days that so we can all look up surgeries and everything. And then I was shadowing a gastroenterologist by my house and he was taking me through the ORs that day and we went into a craniotomy. And so I was standing there in front of an open skull of a patient with a ton of uh, residents around and everything. And so it was just, the, it was an environment that I could really see myself in for the future. And it felt right. And besides the fact that it was fascinating in and of itself, I, I could really see myself pursuing that. And so from that point I was hooked. And so um, really I would say some of my fears going forward would be like, the, the entire medical school application process seems like a very detailed and in-depth checklist, but um, people make it out to be uh, that it's not and you shouldn't approach it that way. So I think it's all about like telling your story and like where you fit in um, with the, the specific medical school. So I would just, I would want to ask you guys like how uh, you would recommend the best way to tell that and um, really shape your interest around certain experiences that you can gain at the undergraduate level, since they are somewhat limited. So yeah, that would be the main thing. And then um, I have some experience in research. So that's an interest that I would be looking forward to in the future. So kind of how that may change moving forward. Um, I mean, the difficulties with COVID and everything. So um, there's a lot to go into, I think. That's great. Yeah. I think a follow-up question is, you know, you guys talk a little bit about your concerns and a lot of them are very just practical um, that really don't go away in med school. If you want to do neurosurgery, it's crazy competitive. And so the imposter syndrome, the, the feeling of inadequacy, the, you know, work really hard for something that's not guaranteed that those, those concepts really don't go away. So what are some things maybe that organizations like MSNTC, the YNC, Double AMC, some of these organizations that are in the business of getting people interested in medicine and then giving them the tools to make that happen. What can what can they and we do to foster interest and provide the tools for you guys for med school to improve interest and uh, help assuage some of your guys' concerns? Uh, Matt, if you want to just follow up on that. Sure. Yeah, I think the major thing would be just social media interaction. I think especially if we can't interact in person because of COVID and everything, I think social media presence can be really powerful. And um, the MSNTC is, is very good at it. I mean, with 
Instagram and Twitter, I think a lot of physicians are, are gaining experience with that and using that as a method to uh, talk about research or new topics or anything or just ways of connecting. So the one uh, impediment I would say for undergrads on the social media side would be that there seems to be some sort of stigma uh, with like reaching out over social media. I feel like if you, you, it'd be more beneficial to use like maybe a cold email or cold call or something like that. But it would be, I think, just as beneficial to, I mean, send a message over social media. I mean, it's the same sort of access. It's just kind of a little bit more stigmatized um, just because of the the nature of the platform. But I think just a general large social media presence could really increase the, the number of people interested in the field. And you could post a short video about new research topics or something like that, and then just get more people involved in the conversation. Dr. Johnson, do you think that we should be doing more to reach out to people before med school, giving them resources, uh, improving maybe the equity among different demographic groups and different backgrounds and that sort of thing. I mean, obviously we don't really have a shortage of people applying. I mean, no spots go unfilled every year, but you know, neurosurgery is in the business of attracting the best and brightest. So are there ways that we can improve that process on the organized neurosurgery community side? That's a good question. I think, I think that social media by in and of itself, that now that neurosurgery is becoming more active is certainly a way that passively we can do that. Um, you know, like, like Matt kind of alluded to videos and content. I mean, just think about Blake's story. I mean, she was really inspired by a movie. So I think that, um, you know, the more we sort of have the amazing, particularly videos, I think at, at that stage, you know, like a, some sort of narrative and, and exposure. I'm thinking about, you know, the Lenox Hill documentary. I think there's a new one called The Surgeon's Cut or something like that, which I haven't watched, but I've heard is out there. Uh, I think these type of exposures are really, really good for the general public because it gives a, a nice balanced view of, of some of the issues that we deal with. And, you know, in, in addition to that, social media, uh, et cetera. I think that's a good, I think at the stage is, 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 is mainly about inspiration to do it rather than the nuts and bolts because the nuts and bolts to get into neurosurgery are kind of farther away um, in medical school at that stage. And, and so I think you, you, you can very easily encourage someone intellectually to once they get into medical school to look into it at the undergrad stage, but I'm not sure if neurosurgery itself necessarily benefits from directly influencing undergrads at that stage. I think maybe in the medical student stage for sure, but I do think that the same things that would help the general public understand what we do and appreciate it and um, inspire others um, would inspire this group of of young people as well. That's my thought. That's really good and thoughtful. Thanks. So Blake, we'll kind of transition to anything that you guys want to talk about. So do you have any particular burning questions that at your stage in college that you really think would be helpful to get you to the next step? Yeah. So I really wanted to ask about best jobs or experiences for a gap year or anything like now, while I'm still in my undergrad, anything that I can do now to sort of start supplementing my application. I mean, it's definitely been more difficult with COVID and all of the regulations with hospitals and trying to find shadowing opportunities now. I mean, and I'm also like the first one in my family to go into medicine. So I don't really have any, you know, contacts that I can 
rely on or reach out to other than like Matt was saying, just cold emailing people or trying to find contacts through networks of other people. So I guess any like formal or different mechanisms, how students could get involved. Well, I think, I mean, any of those things are good being an EMT, working as a medical assistant. I, I worked as a medical assistant in between uh, I didn't know I wanted to do medicine until senior year of college. So I was a little bit behind in terms of all the things I needed to do. And ultimately just by necessity did the gap year. And uh, so I did the medical assistant thing in a, in an orthopedic and sports medicine office. And it was a really good experience. I think if you want to be strategic, especially as someone who doesn't maybe have a lot of personal contacts in medicine, being strategic about getting access to that. So that's one, that's one reason scribing is good in the ER emergency doctors basically know every subspecialist because they have to call them at 3am sometimes, uh, awkwardly, uh, and we decline their call. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I was going to let Dr. Johnson elaborate on that, (laughs) but yeah, I think being strategic about getting access to that, you know, once you have a conversation with one physician, you have access to multiple. And I think that's something that maybe goes lost in the idea of just getting shadowing for its own sake. It's really about building mentors in the field, which is something that doesn't, and that's just medicine in general. It doesn't have to be a neurosurgeon. That's just something that is important for the rest of your life, getting as many people as possible in your corner. And, you know, the opposite side of the ring is getting into med school. And so you're really trying to do whatever you can to, to make your uh, prospects in the fight better. And, so I think whether it's EMT and you have access to docs there or um, scribing medical assistant, there, there are a whole host of things. Working in a research lab is also really good because you'll be working maybe with a, a, a couple senior investigators, postdocs, that sort of thing that might have um, a wide network that you can work from. Um, I don't know if Dr. Johnson has follow-up thoughts on that. No, I think you're right on. I think the more medical exposure you get, the better. I don't think at this stage it is required to have any particular type of it. Research mentors that know you well, you spent, you know, significant time can write you good letters for medical school. Any physician that you know is a big win. I think you probably should target to have one at least um, in my mind. I mean, this has been quite a while. I was joking about how my records are on paper uh, from when I did this process, uh, which is true. But my recollection of this is that you should try to have a medical professional as a letter writer, at least one. It would be great to have a research, you know, like PhD or something like that. If, if you've had that experience, I think that the, the folks in medical school want to see that you're, you're smart, you're active, you're a go-getter. So anything related to medicine or even volunteerism in medicine for a period of time works in my mind better for your resume than, you know, going to work at wherever Walmart or something like that, right. Uh, for the summer. So I think, I, I think it doesn't really matter the specifics, but I do think it matters that you're clearly interested in the field and, and trying to get exposure to more and more people who can not only make sure you want to do medicine in their, in their minds of the people that are admitting people to medical school, but also, you know, that you're, that you're going to be someone that really is super interested in it. In, in addition to just trying to make your resume. Uh, and, and I think that that comes a lot from the letters as well as the resume. So I think, I think any, any exposure you can get is good. I realize it's extremely limited, particularly right now, but One thing I did want to mention about my experience, um, because I probably did it maybe not the worst way, but I was certainly the most, 
on the lower scale of the cluelessness scale when I was doing all this myself. Uh, I just sort of made it up as I went along. I didn't really have any mentors. So one thing I, when I was like a high school and even an undergrad student, I, I did not really grasp the difference between just the, the hospital down the street and the doctor down the street and someone who's like an academics at a major medical center. Um, so I like, I'm serious, like not, not far from my house was like a local community hospital. And I just like walked in to there looking for a quote unquote job or to find a doctor, I, you know, you know, cause I had some time one summer and yeah, I mean, they essentially, they had like job postings and, you know, I could push a wheelchair around or something like that for, for them maybe. So that wasn't very fruitful, but through connections I made at a church where I was going to church at the time, there was a physician that I knew that was there. And when I actually walked up and asked to him if I could shadow him because I need to, you know, qu quickly apl apply to undergrad or, or med school, I think med school at that point. He was like, oh, yeah, sure. And I just spent one day shadowing him. And uh, he's a busy internal practice doctor, internal medicine doctor, I'm sorry, did not really have any experience having students shadow him. And there's all these HIPAA compliance issues he was nervous about, et cetera, which I don't blame him. Um, but he was kind enough to let me do it and just ask every patient before. And it slowed him down and it was a kind of a sacrifice for him. But, but I got that shadowing exposure for my, for my CV. And I don't believe he, he may or may not have written a letter. It's been so long now, but, but that was incredibly important compared to nothing. So uh, anything that you have like a personal connection, I would say, just try and think hard about it and, and, and ask them. And most people want to pay it forward. I mean, they, they've done this themselves and people have gotten them into the field and, and they'll want to help if they can. But going back to the difference between academic medical center and a regular hospital, the, if you have a center that trains residents or something like that around you, try and Google that and target that because that place typically has the mechanisms for this way more established than your average, just walk up and, you know, or cold email someone that, you know, happens to work in medicine. That's not in the business of training people. I think that would be, you'd be much more, get a much better reception and it's much easier for them to integrate you than your average person who's not used to doing that or their institution is not used to doing that even even more so yeah wow that's really good definitely agree on the academic versus community resources um if you can connect with more academic physicians doesn't have to be neurosurgery but because that will i think give you access to to more resources as well as a greater variety in terms of research clinical experience. You know, Matt said that he was with a gastroenterologist and then walked into a, a neurosurgery OR. I mean, that that's kind of the idea is you, you could have a, a wide dearth of exposure. Um, and, you know, there is, there are some technical things you just have to do. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you still, I mean, most med schools, you have to have letters of recommendation from physicians. And, you know, Matt, you said you have to build your story and that's definitely true. And, you know, you're trying to sell a story to people who are receiving thousands of applications. So having people in your corner that can vouch for that story and help sell that story is really important. Maybe calling people they know at different schools and that sort of thing. I mean, that sort of thing really never goes away. And then one other thing I would expand on what Dr. Johnson said is that, you know, you have to get, if you can, as early as you can get good at asking people for help, the better. Most people will be willing to help. They just need to be asked. They're not going to come to you. Um, and if there's something that you can do to offer to them, you know, whether it is research or doing something like clinical volunteer work for their clinic or whatever, then that will 
shine rather than just asking for mentorship or shadowing or whatever. Because I think that shows that you're willing to be a part of the team. And and that's what medicine is, is a, is a team sport. So Matt, did you have any, any questions about some of this stuff? Yeah, I think kind of on a similar topic to that with mentorship in like previous podcast episodes that you guys have talked about, it's a lot with medical school students and residents asking for some type of mentorship. It's a, a little bit more of an exchange. Like I can bring this to the table. I'm willing to do this for you. Like, can I please work on this project or something like that? As an undergrad, I feel like there's a little bit less that you can bring besides doing some grunt work here and there or some paper editing or something like that. What types of things would you recommend pursuing for certain physicians if you want to bring up saying that you want to work for them or help them in any way? Yeah, I I think you have to just be okay with doing grunt work. And I mean, a lot of my undergrad experience to get volunteer was filing stuff away at a local family health clinic. And uh, Michael, that's excellent. What's up? (laughs) Right on. That's excellent. Yeah. You know, trying to, it's the small things, you know, it's hard to, a lot of it is just trying to stay out of the way too. Um, You don't want to make an impression for the wrong reasons. It's better to make no impression than one, a bad one. But, you know, if you can find something where you're learning a skill while you're helping the team is something that I really think is important that, you know, if you can learn how to write, you know, research, or, you know, you can learn how to work with your hands or get better at listening for heart sounds, something that you like learn a skill that will benefit you in med school, as well as being a part of the team, I think is a really good balance. That is not always the case. Uh, And as, as you said, it's not always available. You know, for me, I, I pushed grocery carts before I, uh, was a medical assistant at, at HEB to pay for my med school apps. And I think that that's beneficial. You know, it showed that I was willing, I was a college graduate that was pushing grocery carts. And I thought that was a, something that I, just, I had to do um, in order to, to make that happen. So some of those things, you know, I, I don't think it's like imperative that you necessarily have like a bunch of medical exposure, as long as you're able to show that you're um, building that story. Dr. Johnson, did you have, did you have thoughts about that? I think that's right. I mean, I don't think every experience has to be in medicine. I just think you need some of that. I remember in undergrad, I, I, there was like a big brother, big sister program I volunteered at. And I was probably one of the college students who was consistent. And so, so they, they had me come and give talks when they had fundraisers and things like this, <laughs> you know, I think any, anything that is on your CV is better than nothing. So if you're just watching Netflix all summer, um, that's not good. Um, I think, I think having these experiences and, and if part of your story is that I'm, I'm a bootstrap person and I need to work during the summer to pay for things, then that's okay. But you probably need to find some volunteerism and some shadowing, you know, to be on your resume as well. And just be really active and, and have good questions, not annoying questions, but like thoughtful questions. When you speak up, like make sure it's a good informed question, be inquisitive, be interested, um, don't be pushy. Don't be annoying. Uh, you know, know when to not say anything and when to say something. And and a lot of that's like almost like emotional intelligence. You also have to, almost have to, you know, in your mind, think about when is the right time for someone who has no actual business being here to, to ask a question and how many of them are allowed, you know, and that's different depending on the situation. But I, I think just showing interest is good. Research is good. If you can pull it off again, not 100% necessary, but the more, the better. 
things are becoming more competitive. The bar is going higher for papers that people need to get into neurosurgery, but you don't necessarily have to have five publications before, before you apply to medical school, you know, but the, 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 the experience, and if you have them, then that's even better, but the experience is very good as well. Just having that on your CV. So I think you guys are all doing the right things. Yeah. And, uh, I think, uh, trying to make a list of priorities, right? So number one is that you have to hit the marks for your grades and your upcat. I mean, that's like kind of just the bare minimum, which is kind of cruel um, that you have to excel on those. And then, you know, the next priority is building relationships. So whatever that, whatever you have to do to make that happen. And that kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, more pragmatic concerns, like, your financial well-being, that sort of thing. But, you know, building relationships in the field is really important. And um, that's, that's, that's what I would recommend that you do, whatever that means, whatever you have access to. And really, and, and say, say yes to as much as you can without sacrificing quality and deadlines and that sort of thing. But say yes to as much as you can. Med school is way too short to find out what you want to do with your life. So if you can do that earlier, if you can say, if you can start crossing things off before med school, that's, a really valuable thing. Cause then you can spend more time on things you're interested in, in med school. You know, I didn't know I wanted to do neurosurgery until midway through med school. And so maybe if I had been a little more, if I know that's what I wanted to do earlier, then maybe I would have been able to spend more time on it. And then one other thing is, I think it's really good to build mentorship out of, you know, it's, it's good to be with the department chair, um, but there's a huge gap between undergrad and department chair. Right. And so kind of the next level in training, whatever that is. So for meds, for a med student, it's a resident, you know, like building a relationship with a resident for you guys, it would be building relationships with med students. I know a lot of med students that are, they are trying to get papers done, but they're so busy that, you know, maybe you could help them write the intro and and learn some writing skills or, you know, that sort of thing. So that's also, I think a good strategy that if you can build relationships with whatever the next step in your training is, that's a really good thing. Cause they're, and those are also the people that just did it too. So they can maybe help with the nuances of the recent, the recency bias that you, uh, you should be aware of. Did you guys have any other burning questions, Blake or Matt? Um, one more thing that I kind of wanted to ask was kind of on that topic that you were just talking about, about how med school is kind of short to figure out what you want to do. If you have put in that work, to build the relationships and figure out what you want to do. And then you decide you want to pivot to something else. How would you recommend leveraging those relationships to, to move to some other field or not field, but interest or specialty or something like that? Dr. Johnson, do you want to tackle that first? Yeah, no, I think that's really great. Actually, very insightful question. So I think that at everyone that is a physician, uh, even medical students um, know that at your stage, you're in exploration stage, you're in, what do I like, you know, and and that's what it should be. You should not, in in my mind, you should not have a rigid goal to become X at this stage, in my personal opinion. Other people may say differently, but that's my personal opinion. I really do think that that at your stage, you should be exploring everything and seeing what you like the most. Because as I alluded to earlier, you're going to spend a lot of time and energy to devote to this. And if you don't like it, you're going to burn out or want to quit or whatever, right? So you really need to like what you do because you spend so much time doing it and what otherwise in, you know, quote unquote, normal people's lives would be free time, you know? So you need to do what, spend a lot of what you would normally be free time to someone else doing this. So you better really like it. And that goes for regardless of neurosurgery or or something else, you know, Um, even internal medicine, you have to like it. You're going to be 
getting called by on weekends by patients and going in to do paperwork for your patients on weekends and who knows, you know? So I think every, I think all the people that have been through your process know that that's the case and that switching interests is super common and healthy. So I think that if you develop these relationships and you tell someone, oh, I'm no longer going to do neurosurgery. I want to do ER because of X, Y, Z. They're going to totally understand and support that in large part. Now you may have some outlier somewhere who like, you know, says that, you know, you're crazy, you know, but that that's very rare. I mean, if so, they're, they're probably joking with you. The majority of people will support the support that because they all fundamentally know you can't do something that's you're not interested in or not cut out for, or don't want to do. Right. So I don't, I don't think that's that big of a problem. You just have to present it to them the way you see it. I'm sure they'll support you and still write letters or whatever you need, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, really don't have a whole lot to add. I mean, one thing that I would just say is that there are a lot of similarities between a lot of different fields, you know, so I mean, given ER and neurosurgery, I mean, there's a lot of similarities there in terms of fast paced and in terms of having to work in stressful environments, that sort of thing. So focusing on really being introspective and thinking about what are the differences between the fields that are informing what you're curious about and interested in, because those are manifestations of who you are as a person, right? Um, your interests and likes and things are are born out of the your previous experiences and 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 who you are and your personality and and that sort of thing. So really, I think it is just not so much about changing career. I, I agree with Dr. Johnson; it's not a big deal necessarily, but really just really staying present in the moment and thinking about why that is and, and bouncing it off those mentors. You know, asking them why why do you think I am interested in this other thing? And what do you think about it? And because no matter where you end up, Bill, I mean, you want to be friends with these people. I mean, the ultimate goal is that you'll be their colleague one day. And so being open to their advice and, and picking their brain is something that you don't want to sacrifice just because you, you want to change fields. So can continue to foster that relationship is, is good. Blake, did you have anything that you wanted to follow up on? I guess sort of going off of that, what, do you guys think would be some valuable, I guess, like insights that those mentors could provide for us as aspiring medical students or anything like as aspiring neurosurgeons or doctors, just even in the future, what would be good things to ask them or to sort of pick their brain about like maybe their journey or anything like that? I think uh, maybe Dr. Johnson can elaborate on this, but, you know, Dr. Johnson and I are, are asked, answering these questions that you guys are have fairly from a technical standpoint, you know, where we don't really know your guys' experiences that well. But when you work with someone, maybe, you know, you've worked with someone for a week and you get to know some of their peculiarities and their interests and their hobbies and that sort of thing. So they know what you want to do in the context of who you are a little bit better than Dr. Johnson and I might. And so bouncing that, I, those ideas off, off of them uh, within that context, I think is really helpful and, and, and healthy, but really not a whole lot different than what we've said so far. I think it is just understanding that you're coming from a, a position of ignorance to some extent and just really being humble about your knowledge level and where you want to be. And um, I think that's really, really good. And that, and that will maybe, I mean, benefit you, you know, once they they know who you are and they know what you're interested in and maybe you're changing interests and they give you their insight. Maybe they say, Hey, to their spouse or friend or someone else who's a physician. And they say, you know, this person's thinking about this. Do you know anybody? Or I'm really impressed by their, their candor and their demeanor and that sort of thing. Then they can go to bat for you 
which is something that we've been saying, you know, is really just building your team. Yeah, I would agree. I think, I think the great thing about having mentors that you speak to on a personal level is that, like we said before, you had to kind of pick your spots and understand the context of your relationship to them. But if you have a mentor who's really involved and, you know, feel like you're kind of like friends with, you can get a good advice from them and the degree which you open up to them or which they will be willing to help you kind of depends on your relationship individually, but, but you get individualized advice from people if they know you well, right? So each one of you students has your own set of circumstances. You're in your own region. You have your own resume. You have your own financial and family limitations. Uh, you know, if your entire family is neurosurgeons, you're not going to have a problem finding neurosurgeon mentors. Uh, whereas like if I was, and it sounds like Blake is, you have no one in your family who does medicine. You're like a little bit like more lost. So they can really help with that. But I think that each, you're going to come up with questions along the way that are very specific to you. And I think that having individual mentors, you know, allows you to ask specific questions in your own context. Like, like Michael was saying, like, yeah, I mean, I have to go push carts at HEB because I need to pay rent. But so what is the volunteer opportunities I can do when I'm have some free time versus someone else who's got a, a summer or a year of to do something, you know, and that's a different question. So I think it allows more individualized advice and mentors always want to help. It's just a balance of they're busy and, and you don't want to take too much of their time. And so it, it, it's, like I said, it's, it's just kind of like a context dependent relationship you have with them, but, but it allows you to have access to people who theoretically are on your side, who can understand your individual situation and give you customized advice and or connections uh, as they can. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Maybe try to identify people that are similar to you and, you know, kind of background and socioeconomic background, demographic background, family structure, that sort of thing. Cause those, those things matter in terms of, you know, the actual logistics of getting from where you are now to, to medicine, from medicine to residency and beyond. And that's the strategy that I've employed. And I think most of my colleagues do as they're trying to get to residency. So I, I suspect that that same concept applies in undergrad. Unless you guys have any qu other questions or concerns, I think we can conclude the conversation. Well, our guests have been Matt Rosenthal and Blake Bogan. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And good luck for all your endeavors. It's always interesting to see, uh, you know, how people progress and bloom and, and grow. It's great. So thanks for coming on. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow, and leave a comment in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your audio content. Make sure to follow MSNTC and the YNC on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And check out our webpage at neurosurgerytraining.org slash TNJ where you can find other episodes and links and resources related to today's conversation. Be sure to check out the YNC's webinar series and visit their webpage on AANS.org. If you have comments or ideas for episodes or would like to join us to talk about anything neurosurgery related, our email address is tnjpodcast at neurosurgerytraining.org. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, I'd like to thank Matt Rosenthal, one of our fantastic MSNTC volunteers, for helping with the editing and processing and also thank all the fabulous people involved in this project. Have a great day and we look forward to next time.